morning, as we enter into worship with uh, the Word, we're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through about 13. And it's Transfiguration Sunday. And this is the text that would typically be read on Transfiguration Sunday. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. May the Lord add his blessing uh, to the reading of the word this morning. If you happen to have joined us on Wednesday night, this message is going to sound familiar to you. I had a friend who preached one time on a Sunday morning, and when the church came back for Sunday night service, he preached the same message. And he said, I'm going to do that because I don't think you listened the first time. Well, that's not why I'm doing this. Um, I'm preaching this a second time because I really wanted more of you to hear the message. Um, unfortunately, today, that's not going to be the case, but maybe... Uh, the person that needed to hear it is here today uh, joining us. When I was a, a young, very young Christian, in fact, before I was a Christian, I met this gentleman. His name was Jim Sunderworth. Jim Sunderworth lives in Florida now. He's on staff at a little church down there. But he used to go around, he had a music ministry. And he sang in a lot of churches. And uh, Jim had a song that I think he wrote and it was called, I Read the Back of the Book, and We Win. The chorus to that song went something like this. We win, we win, hallelujah, we win. I read the back of the book, and we win. Uh, obviously, it refers to the fact that if you read the book of Revelation, ultimately, the long story of Scripture, the long story of history, concludes with Christians and those that are followers of Jesus uh, being overcomers. You may have watched an old Harrison Ford movie uh, called Air Force One. And you may recall that in that movie, 
There is a scene where he has been in Russia. He's been at some diplomatic event. He is the president of the United States. And he apparently is a, a graduate of Michigan. And there was a big football game. So after his day of dealing with diplomatic matters, he comes back to Air Force One, makes his way back to, I guess, what you would call the presidential suite. He has said to various people along the way, do not tell me the score of the game. Do not tell me the score of the game because he has taped the game and he wants to watch the entirety of the game and find out all the details for his own. Just as he makes it into his suite where he's going to sit down and watch the movie, uh, some aide or some Secret Service agent looks at him and says, Mr. President, that was some game for Michigan today, wasn't it? And he blurts out the score. Um, there's nothing worse than knowing how the movie ends. There's nothing worse than knowing how things are going to turn out. But sometimes you can watch a movie and you can determine that I don't have a clue what's going on and there's no way for, for me to know how this is going to turn out. And that may be the way that you feel today with regards to your life or perhaps with regards to our church's life or to some other aspect of your being. I want you to take notice of what, takes, what happens in the scripture this morning. After six days, Jesus takes with him Peter and James and John, and he leads them up by a high mountain by themselves. And the scripture says that he was transfigured before them. That word transfigured means that he was changed. Uh, his essence, who he was, something happened to it. And what happened is told to us in the third verse, his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And the next thing that happened, there appeared with him Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now you may remember, this is a bit of an odd thing, you may remember uh, that Elijah uh, departed this world in a chariot of fire, and Moses, the scripture tells us, was buried by God, and no one knows where he was. But here they both are, standing uh, with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now don't you love the fact that it's Peter that opens up his mouth and says this? Impulsive Peter who was always doing impulsive things. Uh, building those tents or tabernacles would have been to place this event on key or on par with one of the Jewish festivals, or at least to tie it with one of the Jewish festivals. But Peter's idea was a terribly bad idea. To build these three tents uh, for Moses and Elijah and for Jesus would not have been what the point of this event was going to be all about. And you know, I would just stop for a minute and say to you that sometimes we, in response to the revelation of Jesus in our lives, get it wrong and want to build tents or build something uh, in honor of Jesus. And we've got to be careful that we don't get that all wrong in the process. We can want to do something as opposed to trust in something, as opposed to trust in what he's done for us, we sometimes want to jump out of the gate and do something, not in response, 
but rather just to do. Peter appears to be in that condition. And notice why he was in that condition. It says in the sixth verse, he did not know what to say because he was terrified along with James and John. The next thing that happens is this. A cloud overshadows them and a voice comes out of the cloud and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. I'm just glad that God chose to step in and say something in response to Peter's idea. And he says, Basically, Peter, just be quiet. Peter, this is my son. Peter, listen to what he has to say instead of trying to get out of your, wor- out your mouth what you want to say. And it says, suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. In an instant, this transfiguration event came and went. In an instant, it is all over, and all that they see is Jesus. But what they had seen in that momentary flash, uh, 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 in that voice, was something that they needed to see and to hear. And it says, as they came down the mountain, Jesus charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Now right here you ought to stop and listen close because we begin to get a glimpse of the story that if we were living at the time of Peter, James, and John, we wouldn't have. You see, you and I read that and Jesus says, Tell no one what you've seen until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And we immediately say, we get that. It's the beginning of Lent. It is the season of Lent coming on here. And we know that at the end of Lent, there is this day that we celebrate called Easter. And we read that verse and we understand that the Son of Man rising from the dead is Jesus. That one day, Jesus will rise from the dead. But what you need to understand is, Peter and James and John did not have that information. Peter, James, and John are coming down the mountain, and Jesus says, Don't tell anybody what you just saw, at least until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And it says on one hand in the 10th verse, So they kept the matter to themselves, but they questioned what this rising from the dead might mean. Now you and I, we understand Easter. We understand the story. Peter, James, and John really didn't have what you and I have. They have not read the back of the book. They are living the book out. They don't see what's coming next. And as they came down the hill, the mountain, questioning what this might mean, look at what they asked Jesus in the 11th verse. Why do the scribes say that Elijah must first come? Now this clue that Jesus has given them in the transfiguration, that he would rise again, this clue that is given to them puts them on the right track. Of all the prophecies concerning the Messiah, all of the scribes at the time would have agreed that Elijah would come before the Messiah. And right now in this book, they have just been on this mountaintop on transfiguration, and they have seen Elijah. There's Moses with Elijah. 
They, see, they have seen something that they needed to know. And so they ask Jesus this critical question, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus said to them this, in the 12th verse, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? In essence, Jesus is telling them here, your hunch was right. Elijah will come first. But look at what Jesus says next in the 13th verse. I tell you, he has already come. And they did whatever they pleased to him as it is written about him. Jesus has just told them what you've been looking for before the Messiah arrives, the coming of Elijah, has already occurred. Now they could have jumped back to what they had just seen on the mountaintop and said that was it, but I don't think they did that. Jesus was telling them something deeper than that. He was taking them back to the beginning of the book, Gospel of John, where John the Baptist is baptizing people. He took them back to the early days of his life and of his ministry, when John the Baptist, who they said was one like Elijah, was baptizing in the River Jordan. And the clues not only get deeper, but in some ways they get clearer. Elijah has come. If you're thinking correctly and you're watching correctly, disciples, you will know that there are dots to be connected here. And one of those dots is my cousin, John the Baptist. Now just stop for a minute and ask yourself the question, what on earth does all of this mean, this transfiguration event? In the Gospels, uh, particularly in this Gospel of Mark, Jesus has been slowly revealing to us who he is. He has now taken these three close companions, Peter, James, and John, up on the mountaintop, and he has shown them something very clear. He showed them Elijah. He showed them Moses. He showed them this cloud that came down amongst them. And they sh he let them hear the voice of his father say, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Moses and Elijah prepared the way. John the Baptist prepared the way. But Jesus, and listen close church, Jesus is the Messiah and is now going to finish the story. Disciples, you have not had the chance to read the back of the book, but it is about to unfold right before your eyes. Moses had things revealed to him. Elijah revealed things to us. But now Jesus is going to complete the story. And he's now telling them the key issue, the climax of the story, is about to take place. The problem is, they weren't allowed to tell anybody about it until Jesus rose from the dead. The problem is, these disciples needed the back of the book so they could put the puzzle together fully. I want to stop for a minute and talk to you about our lives for a minute. You know, much like Peter and James and John, we are living our story right before our eyes. Sometimes some of us have the privilege of seeing the glory of God, and sometimes we never see it at all. But we live in all of the confusion of life, saying or doing things, 
sometimes just like Peter would have. Let's build some tents here so we can honor Jesus and Elijah and Moses. But you and I, as we live our lives, not knowing how the rest of our story will end, we know the way that the story ends. Jesus suffers. Jesus dies. Jesus will rise from the dead. He will conquer death. And the glory that gets revealed on that first Easter Sunday morning will be incredible. The body of Jesus that had been tortured and mutilated and destroyed, it will rise from the ashes of the crucifixion to reveal for all time and eternity just exactly who he is. He is the God of the ages. Amen. The end of the story. You know, the early church viewed Sundays as little Easter's. And maybe you and I need to begin to regain some of that. Maybe we need to begin to realize that in our ending is actually our beginning. That in our final chapter of life, it's a doorway into eternity. That technically for the Christian, there is no ending per se. Perhaps our lives would then take on new meaning, or perhaps at least they should take on new meaning. Because you and I live our our own story, there are ups and downs that are in it unique to us. Glorious moments on the mountaintop when God does things that nobody else can see. And then those moments when it seems like, like Peter. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. And oftentimes our response is not the correct one. But the difference for you and I is, we know how this story goes. We know that really the story doesn't end. We know that there's a transition for Jesus and there will be a transition for us. This life is not a one-shot deal. This life is not something that begins and ends. Rather, this life begins and has an eternity ahead of it. And in spite of the setbacks, the misunderstandings, the misspeaks, we know that Jesus has paved the way for us to see our own story in him. You know what's interesting to me? I'm going to give you two scriptures here. Peter, James, and John, both, all three, are up on that Mount of Transfiguration. And later in life, when Peter would write about this in 2 Peter chapter 1, he would say this, When we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by that majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. You know, Peter would look back and say, I've had the revelation of who Jesus is. We were on that holy mountain when God spoke. And God said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. One of the other disciples, John, in 1 John 3, later in life, he would write a couple of epistles, three epistles. And he, he says this in his third epistle, Beloved, we're God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I want to assure you that John was saying to us, 
Life can get messy. Life can get difficult. Life can look different than what you thought it would be. But we're now God's children. And what will be has not yet been revealed to us. But we know when He appears, we'll be like Him. And that what John is saying to us, church, is no matter what mess we have in our life, no matter what the circumstances we're currently in or ever have been in, no matter what the situation is, we are God's children. And because we are God's children, we know that one day... We will be like Him. One day we'll see Him fully. One day we'll be exactly like He is. And that brings me to my bottom line. And listen close to this because I'm going to have to explain it. It's not the best bottom line I've ever had. Our legacy is not the life we live, but the Lord we serve. Our legacy as Christians is not the life we live, but the Lord we serve. I want to stop and take you back to what John said. John, who was up there on the Mount of Transfiguration, who had been traveling up to that point with Jesus, this Jesus that breathed and ate and bled and wept and had all the same circumstances that you and I will ever face, this Jesus up on the Mount of Transfiguration, was changed. He was transformed. And a voice of God spoke and said, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. That Jesus, that John came off that mountain. And as an old man, he sat down to write some letters. And when he wrote them, he made it a point to say, Church, what we look like now, it does not. we're God's children now, and we don't know what we will be, because as we're God's children, we're in different circumstances. But understand this, when He appears, when the story, the final chapter is written, when it, the role is called up yonder, we will be like Him, for we will then see Him exactly as He is. Something happened to John. There was a change. Life became more than just a drudgery. Life became something to live for. And church, our lives are not what matter the most. You may say, wait, hold on, Joel. I thought that we were supposed to, to live for Jesus. We are. Somebody looks back on me and they say someday, what was Joel's legacy? I don't want them to say, well, he built a couple buildings at some churches south of here. I don't want to say he helped the church to pay off a few buildings south of here. I don't want him to say, Joel could preach or Joel couldn't preach. I want him to say, the legacy of Joel was Jesus. The legacy of Joel was Jesus. And church, that's what we've got to see. Our legacy is not our life. Our legacy is our Lord. Peter didn't always get that. Neither will we. Our lives are not perfect, but one day they will be. The church, listen church, the church is not perfect. But one day it will be. And our story is not what we do. Listen close. Our story is not what we do. Our story is what he's done for us. And then what he does in us. And then what he does through us. Our legacy is not about us. Our legacy is about him. Church, it's not what you do. It's who you serve. And that, that should be Jesus. Amen and amen. Let's pray together.
Lord, this has been a, a different sort of morning here. We predicted it would be far colder than it was. And here we find ourselves in a parking lot, again worshiping you, in spite of whatever we thought would be. And Lord, we know that our lives are that way, that we may paint a portrait of what we expect, but when it comes to living it, sometimes the paint gets spilled on the carpet. Sometimes what was meant to be a masterpiece becomes a finger painting. Lord, sometimes the circumstances that are placed in our midst cause things not to be as we expected them to be. But Lord, for us, it's not about how we've lived, but it's about who we serve. Lord, it's not about how we've lived for ourselves, but how we've lived for you. And Lord, we know that you can take the pieces of our lives, the paint that is spilled on the carpet of our existence, and Lord, you can take that and mold it into a masterpiece for the sake of the kingdom. So Lord, as we live, may our lives not be about what we've done, but about who you are, what you've done in our lives, and how you've transfigured us, transformed us into your very image. Lord, keep us mindful this day that we're your children. How this story ends, what we shall be, is not yet that clear. But help us to live in the faith of knowing that one day when you appear, we will be like you. We will see you just as you are, and we shall dwell with you forever. Father, bless us now as we leave this place. In the good name of Jesus, amen.